You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10 today. So you can, if you've got a device, paper Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen in a minute. I do feel like I need to come in the light just for a minute, though. Uh, it was a wild week, tough week, um, and in some weakness this morning, driving uh, here, I listened to a Christmas song, um, and I changed it immediately after it was done, so I just felt like I needed to come in the light. I'll try to do better this next week, so um, just a moment of weakness. I can't really explain it, so all right. Uh, what we're going to do, here's what's going to happen today. Uh, we're going to be getting into the heart of something that is just going to make grace pop to you, I think. Um, in the book of Romans, we're journeying through like the whole Bible on a reading plan together as a church. We're actually going to come back. I'm going to preach from Romans later in 2022, um, which I haven't preached as a book since 2011, and uh, just one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. So I can't wait for that. Um, so just kind of a flyover right now. But uh, this is going to make grace pop, I think, with what you're going to see. Um, also, just as a kind of a little sub-note, that um, you're going to have a couple of things that are going to happen. One is this is a super complicated and nuanced argument that Paul's making where he's going to quote from the Old Testament, and I need you to really like turn up your brain a little bit and try to, try to track with what's going to happen because there's some turns and bends, and you're going to have to pay attention to understand what Paul's getting at. It's, it, there's some nuance and sophistication to it, but beauty, and I need you to kind of follow along. Uh, the other thing is, on a personal level, kind of West, <clears throat> West Texas folk religion is going to get pushed on pretty hard today about being good people and something about Jesus or another and all that. Like, it's going to get pushed on in a pretty forceful way, I think, through the context of the whole conversation. So let's just, with no further ado, jump in. Here we go. Uh, verse 1, Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's talking about the Jewish people, both ethnically and religiously Jewish, um, my heart for them, because Paul is Jewish, is that, is that they would be saved. Now, so what you should know is that there's, there's so much going on in Romans, I don't have time to recap it, but chapter 9 actually picks up this theme of, of the Jewish people that did not believe in, many of whom did not believe in this Messiah, Jesus. And so you just hear his, his anguish, and that's the context of a lot of this conversation in these two chapters. <clears throat> and it says, For I bear uh, them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So what he's saying is, oh yeah, I can tell you that my you know, brothers and sisters, ethnically and religiously, in the Jewish faith, um, oh, they're, they're passionate. I mean, there's a lot of zeal there, don't get me wrong, even a lot of sincerity, but it's not according to knowledge. So there's a lot of religious zeal, but um, they don't know that Jesus has come, and he's the fulfillment of all of these things. And this even gets a little bit more content. And verse 3 really sets, I think, the tension for what we're going to be walking in today. It says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own, so establishing their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So what he's saying is, is even though there's a lot of passion and zeal, and the Old Testament law um, was laid out by Moses uh, from God, and it laid out in detail, um, both in principle and even case law, on how you relate with one another, how you relate with God, and even with all of that, that, that they, they thought that they were righteous by their law-keeping. That's the context of all of this over the course of Romans. 
that says that even with all of that, they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. And there'd be a lot of us here today that are ignorant of the righteousness of God. Like it's not necessarily even willful, necessarily. It's just like you didn't know. And, and that's what he's saying. And that was Paul's story too, is that trying to build a righteousness of our own, like we wanna be good people. Uh, we wanna be righteous people is another way of saying that. And uh, which they, they don't know about the God's righteousness. And there's so much in the book of Romans on this. I mean, you'd have to go back and read all of it. And if you've been on our reading plan, you've seen some of this, of God's mercy and his justice. And he's holy. And he's, as our creator, he has complete rights over us. Complete. Like he, you don't, there's not gonna be this point. I think sometimes we think, well, I don't believe him. So if I don't believe him, it means that he's not. And that's not how this thing works. Like, or I don't agree with God on this certain moral topic and therefore he's wrong or I'm going to ignore him. It doesn't work like that. Like this is a, a one-way conversation where God determines what's right, that he exists. He has complete rights over us as our creator. But a lot of times we're just ignorant of that. And we're like, well, I don't know about any of that. So I'm, just, I'm gonna go about my life just trying to be a good person, doing the best I can. And that, that is, um, you know, Texas folk religion in a nutshell is I'm gonna try to be good and something or another about Jesus and God and stuff like that, because I was raised that way, but I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna keep trying to do that. And then it says, seeking to establish their own. And this is where um, instead of submitting to God and his righteousness, his different kind of nature of who he is, um, then instead we try to establish our own. So we wanna be a good person according to our own rights. Think about this context. These were Jewish people that instead of recognizing who God is, acknowledging his rights over them and believing and trusting in him, rather they're like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep the law. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna have my own righteousness and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna knock it out. I'm gonna check the boxes. And so they're gonna seek their own righteousness in the middle of that. And so do we. Um, and it says they don't submit to God's righteousness. There's also an element of, of like obedience and uh, submission and lordship here that'll come up later in this passage about, hey, I, I don't wanna do what he says. Like I'm aware of all the facts, but I know what he says in the Bible, but I don't wanna do it. And so he's saying that these are, this is all of what happens is that they're ignorant of righteousness. They wanna establish their own and they don't wanna submit to God's righteousness. But I think that we do all the same things. I think that we don't know, and I think that we don't want to submit to him, uh, even the things we do know, and I think we try to establish our own way of being a good person. We'll unpack some of those in a minute, but Stephen is a, to kind of whet your appetite. Um, you can, on your social media feed, you can write next to each other, two of your friends, you can have like a hardcore Christian, like one of those that's, that's on full blast all the time about how bad the world is, and you can almost sense their self-righteousness in their posts. Christians are famous for this kind of thing of, of, you know, the world's bad and it's going to hell and America needs to turn around and, and we need to get back to our roots and, and I can't believe how bad people are and uh, I'm not bad, but y'all are and I don't know what the problem is and clean up y'all's act and all this kind of thing. You, that, that's, the nature, that's the nature of the, the self-righteous Christians talk about, I've got my act together, get your act together and that kind of thing. Okay, but the thing is, is right below them, you can see a non-Christian friend on your social media feed and it's different issues and they may even be flaming Christians in the middle of it, but it's, it's the same kind of tone of, I can't believe where this country's at and I can't believe how people think about these things and I can't believe we think this is okay and this thing is wrong and this is ridiculous and, um, and we need to be more like me and think like this and this and this and vote like this and this and this and come on people, here's another article. And, and so you can see it, it's like the same self-righteous tone of, I've got Got it figured out and I've, I've squared things away and why can't you guys figure it out and think like me and tweet like me, post like me, act like me. And so um, you can just see it everywhere around as we want to be good, you know, and especially in West Texas where we're like, man, let's be nice people and kind people and, 
you know, patriotic people and God-fearing people, not like all those other people out there. Um, we're, we're, like we're here for a variety of reasons. And so um, we want our own righteousness and we want to be good so badly, truly. Uh, now, how, does, how do we get out of this trap is the real question that gets out of this, is if this is what we tend to do, be ignorant of God's righteousness, if we tend to build our own, if we choose to not submit to him, how do we get out of this? And the rest of Romans 10 is gonna unpack that. So let's just start working through it. And this is where I need you to start kind of cranking up your, your thinking cap because this is the wrong week just to kind of listen to sermons like we tend to. We're like, I don't know, something about God or something, you know, we need to read the Bible or I don't even know if that's the point. That's always a safe answer when somebody asks what the sermon's about. Uh, you're gonna need to, to tune it up. All right, so here we go. Uh, verse three, verse four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Uh, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. So what this is getting at is that uh, Christ is the end, and that Greek word there is telos, which people debate on what this means. Does it mean he's the end goal, or does it mean he's the completion of it? And I think there's an element of maybe both of those, but I think what it's really getting at is that Jesus was the trajectory where the law was headed, and he fulfilled it in his perfect obedience and his death and resurrection, but all of the law was moving towards him. And the rest of Romans 10 is gonna explain why that's the case that all of that law being doing, and remember what the Jewish people were really prone to is thinking by their law, uh, their law obedience, by doing those things that they were gonna be righteous, okay? And he's saying, look, the whole, all of the law, the goal of the law, uh, that Christ was the, the goal of all of that, all of that righteous, and it was to everyone who believes. And so now that's gonna get unpacked. And again, it's about to get really nuanced, a sophisticated line of argumentation, quoting from the Old Testament. So let's go, verse five. For Moses writes about righteousness that is based on the law, uh, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. This is a quotation of uh, Leviticus 18.5. And uh, John Piper summarizes this, um, and, I'll, and I'll summarize Piper. And what, more or less what he says is that what, what Paul's doing here on quoting Moses from uh, Leviticus 18 is that if you could obey the law, like if you could, you could be saved by it. Like if you, if you could do all of it, and there's a lot of commands, a lot of rules, if you could do it all, the law fundamentally is about doing at the end of the day. It doesn't mean that a belief in God might not be part of it, but at the end of the day, that righteousness, righteousness by the law is a game of doing. Like it's what you do. That's, that's how the game is played. And I'm not using that negatively. I'm just saying that's, that's the whole thing is about what you do. And if you do this and don't do that. All right, so um, if you could. Now the problem is, is if you've read the Old Testament, you know that um, this doesn't go well for Israel. All right, that, that they don't ever do it. Even their best people, their priests, their kings, they don't ever do it. Even the ones like David, you're like, oh man, a man after God's own heart. And then you start reading the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, he was kind of bad. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, there's a lot. I, I won't even start like referencing things, but you can start reading it and you're like, I thought he was a really good guy. And even these other heroes of the faith and you realize that it's a, it's a mess, you know? And, uh, and so it really lets, lays out for us that you could, but nobody can. I don't have time to unpack this, but earlier in the book of Romans, Paul makes this exact point. The law is good, but the problem's us. The commandment comes to us and we're like, oh yeah? Well, who says? And God's like, me, well, I don't care. And I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna establish righteousness on my own. Instead of believing in you, I think I'm just gonna rather make up a few rules and follow a few select ones from the Bible and we'll move on with our life. Okay, it even gets more complicated and nuanced in these next few verses on exactly what Paul's doing. Look at verse six. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, so remember that the whole thing is there's a righteousness for everyone who believes in verse four. And by contrast, he's saying there's a different kind of righteousness that doesn't come from law obedience. And um, here's what it says. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Parenthetically, it says that is to bring Christ down. Verse seven, or who will descend into the abyss. And then in parentheses, that is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. In parentheses, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. That's all super clear, isn't it? You guys tracking that? Uh, okay, so here's what's happening, is that what, what Paul's doing is he's gonna quote in a running way from Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Deuteronomy is a really critically important book in the, in the New Testament, uh, or in the Old Testament that the New Testament pulls from. It's a restatement of the law right before um, Israel's going into the land, really establishing, here's how we're gonna do the law in the land that God has provided. All right, so that's what Deuteronomy is all about. Deuteronomy 30 is probably the clearest parallel. So check this out, Deuteronomy 30, this is what Paul's quoting from, and it's just a little different, and you can see Paul's points of emphasis that make grace pop. So check this out. For this commandment that I command to you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. So this is talking about the commandment. Like it's right there, you could just do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may uh, hear it and do it. But the word is very near, near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart again, so that you can do it. So the point of Moses in Deuteronomy and this restatement of the law at the very end of Deuteronomy, right before they enter into the land is, hey, the commandments are right here, just do them. The law is about doing, so do it. Uh, do this, don't do this, and you don't have to go up to the sky and down into the ocean and, and around the world and back. It's right there, it's near to you, do it. Do the law, all right? Like that's, that's where Moses leaves off. Now here's what Paul does. If you go back to um, this passage here in, um, in Romans 10, it says, uh, but the righteousness on faith says, again, this is this different kind of righteousness, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Um, that's exactly what Deuteronomy says. And listen, it says, that is to bring Christ down and or descend into the abyss. That is to bring up Christ from the dead. But it, rather it says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And it says that is the word of, of faith that we proclaim. Here's what Paul's doing is every time that Moses would say commandment and law, in other words, like doing, that what Paul does is substitute Jesus in that place. And so uh, when Moses says, hey, it's not that high, just go do it. He says, well, um, Christ actually came down. When it's not that low, do it. Uh, Paul says, well, Christ was raised from the dead. Uh, hey, and you know, the word is near you, do it. Um, he says, well, um, this is the word of faith that we proclaim to you. So in other words, um, things we could not do, come down from heaven, uh, be raised from the dead, um, even obey all of the law, Christ has done. He steps in our place and he becomes this righteousness and, and he comes near to us and he descends from heaven and he ascends from the dead and he's come back from life and there's a new kind of righteousness. It's the word of faith that is being proclaimed here through Jesus. Um, just a beautiful statement that Christ has come near. In a lot of ways, um, this is explaining, unpacking in a very sophisticated and nuanced way, 10.4 um, um, in Romans, um, where the, he's the goal, he's the telos, he's the completion of the law. All of it was going this direction. And the reason we can say this is that it was doable, yes, but the problem was us. And God's answer for that was he came to us in Jesus. He brought, he brought himself near and he did all of those things on our behalf and brought a different kind of 
of righteousness for us. It's a righteousness of faith, not of our own doing. It's, this is a, a gospel core statement. Uh, but to go back to what I said earlier, like we wanna be righteous so bad. We wanna be good people. And really what we start doing at a very early age is here's why I'm okay, all right? I'm fine because I'm not like these other people who aren't fine in this certain thing. Um, so we could do it with a lot of things. I already gave you one example of the religious fundamentalist type here saying, I'm the only one that's right. All these other people are dumb. Figure it out, America. And then like the, the secular person over here saying, I'm the only one that's right. All of y'all are dumb. Think like me, post like me, you know, like that kind of thing. Like there's both religious and non-religious forms of it because it's not a religious issue, right? Well, look at this here. Here's just a list. We actually take all of our elder trainees through um, a book that Bob Thune put together. And I just think this is really good. These different kinds of false righteousness. So I just want you to see a few different kinds of it. So look at this. You've got like discipline righteousness, which is a lot of people don't wake up early and they don't make their bed every day. I'm mean, I don't either. But um, if, you, if you struggled with this, you would wake up and a lot of people don't work out. A lot of people don't watch what they eat, but I do. I don't know what people's problem is. Uh, family righteousness. There are a lot of people that don't pick the right schooling option for their children and aren't very good mothers, you know, out there in the world and dads and all that. And they don't do the Jesus Storybook Bible and they don't do all the things to get, you know, and, but we do parenting right, you know, and there's actually a tremendous amount of pressure on this. Theological righteousness. There's a lot of people that don't have um, the Bible buttoned down and we've got it all like, you know, that perfectly clear. And so there are a lot of people that don't even care about it. Can you believe that? Uh, intellectual righteousness. There are a lot of people that have like really poor reasons for doing what they do, like how they vote, um, how they live, even um, their philosophies of life. They're just not well thought out. And honestly, they, they've lived on tweets their whole life and haven't read books. Can you believe that? Uh, um, and then accessibility righteousness. So many people are so busy and you, like they just can't ever be friends. I will come anytime. I'll be there anytime you call or text. I'll be there within 20 minutes. I'll do the meals. I'll do the whole thing. A lot of people aren't like that nowadays. Uh, mercy righteousness. A lot of people, um, including Christians, don't even care about the poor, don't care about the disabled, don't care about people with real challenges. But um, I actually care about those that are down and out. I care about the people in prison. I care about the recovering alcoholics. A lot of people don't care about people like that, but I care about them. Uh, legalistic righteousness. A lot of people don't obey what's in the Bible and, and even a few extra rules that we've made up. And, um, and so I, but I, I do it. And mostly, at least uh, that you see. And so I'm going to, uh, I just can't believe it. That that other people don't do that. Um, financial righteousness. A lot of people, as soon as they get money, they spend it. In fact, they even spend more than they've got. They're in debt. They can't be generous. Um, they're constantly behind, upside down on cars, um, on and on, can't get into homes, can't pay, pay off their home. Us, on the other hand, uh, we've done all we're supposed to do. We pay off our stuff. We're not in debt. We give, we save. What's people's problem? Uh, why can't they manage their money? Uh, and then even one that I'll add here that I'm just gonna say, like I deal with several of these, but this is one that I added, is what I'd call like toughness and strength righteousness. And this is where um, one good way to know maybe where you are particularly self-righteous is answer this question, like what really annoys you? Like what really gets to you about people? And you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> You know, like that gets kind of fun to think about that. And uh, so for me, one of those things is, you know, whiners or people that won't work through difficulty or challenge, you know? And, and so one of mine can be is, hey, look, I'll get it done. Give me the ball, give me the ball. And I'll, I'll third and one, I'll lower my head, I'll get the tough yard, even if no, nobody else will do it. Why can't you get the tough yard, right? So it could be a lot of things like that on whatever it is that we're dealing with. Uh, but here, what we can tend to do is we build our righteousness of our own and Jesus is saying, look, this is a dead end, y'all. This is a dead end. This doesn't lead to life. And you're ignorant of my righteousness to think that you handling your money well all of a sudden makes you up here 
You know what I mean? And, and you may handle your money well, but your home life is a train wreck or your family may be awesome, uh, but your obedience to God and many other areas may be way out of kilter. And so um, it just lays all these things out. Now let's keep moving here into verse nine. And you may be like, okay, what do I do with this? And um, like, if I believe these things, that Christ came to me to obey the law, crucified and resurrected, even where I couldn't, to give me a new kind of righteousness. Okay, well, there's what we're gonna do. We're not gonna do anything. I'm gonna do anything at all, even though obedience surely flows from a heart that has been made alive in Christ. Um, It's gonna be a confession with our mouth and belief. Look at this. Because if you confess with your mouth, verse nine, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, that means in a legal sense, to be reconciled to God, be made right, acquitted of guilt, in other words. Um, And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So in other words, what you do, the first thing you do when you're a Christian is not doing anything at all. This isn't go to church five times, go be really, 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 really sorry, go confess to a priest, go on a pilgrimage, none of that. It's, um, hey, believe in your heart that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Remember, he, his righteousness, he obeyed the law and he came, he ascended uh, from heaven. He descended from heaven. He ascended from the tomb. He did all these things and he brought, um, Christ came near to you through his death and resurrection. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna believe in our heart um, in him. Um, we're gonna believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead and then we're gonna confess with our mouth um, that there's no such thing as Christianity that's private. Confession with your mouth is you not doing anything. It's just a statement of my only righteousness actually comes from Christ, not from me. Some people call this passive righteousness because I didn't actively do it. It's his that was given to me. And so it's a, sta- it's a belief and then it's a statement. Every time someone's baptized, that's one of the things they're saying is a confession of this is what it is that I believe. And even a statement of submission. And I mentioned this earlier um, where it says that he's Lord. Part of that element is not just a statement of Jesus being resurrected, but even a statement of allegiance is that I'm gonna follow you and, and you, you have my heart and I think you rule over all and that includes me. That's part of that statement of belief. This isn't doing anything, but it's a, it's a confession that, that he is boss. So, um, so the thing is, is the first thing you do as a Christian, and this is why it's so crazy when Christians are self-righteous, is that the first thing we do, it's like some babies, they don't breathe when they are delivered and the, and the doctor has to like that, kind of just kind of seems like a harsh, welcome to the world, buddy, you know, uh, and just pop them there so they'll start breathing. And um, your first, when the Holy Spirit awakens your heart, doesn't matter when you're eight or if you're 28 or 58 and like that, slaps your rear and you start to, you cry. The first cry of the baby Christian is one of, I don't got it. You know, I don't got this and you do and not on me. I haven't been good enough no matter how I've handled my money and how I've raised my children and how I've handled my more, like I don't got it and it's you, it is you. It's an act of humility and bending the knee and it ain't about me and I, I don't have it and there's some good things you've made about me but man, it's insufficient. I don't have a righteousness of my own and oh my goodness, I've been ignorant of who you've been. I, it, some par- probably some parts haven't even been willful. Like I've been trying to be a good person but it's just been ignorant of the truth and I, I've done this and, and you, you acknowledge these things and confess with your mouth that I don't got it, but you are Lord and you've been raised from the dead and all my hope is right there. That's the preliminary confession. Now here's what's interesting is that it also mentions shame and I just think there's an interesting link between pride and shame. They're a lot more similar than you think that because some of you are here and you're like, hey, hey, thanks for all this, but I don't struggle with thinking I'm awesome. Like I think I'm dirty and gross. 
you know, so maybe the sermon might help someone else. But it actually mentions shame in this passage, if you think back to it. Um, it, it even talked about um, that in uh, verse 13, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And there's an interesting link, because I think what happens is that pride and shame are linked more than we think. That pride is very self-centered, saying, why don't y'all see that I'm awesome? Shame, in many ways, is also saying the same thing. I don't think I'm awesome. Why am I not? Why don't you think I'm awesome? Like, I, I'm, I'm, it's a point of insecurity, but just as self-saturated. Here's what ends up happening with shame. Is shame sometimes is going to try to prove to themselves and to other people and God that we're okay. I'm going to prove it to you, and I feel dirty and gross, but I'm going to try to do these good things, and I'm hoping that maybe at some point someone will look at me and think that I'm lovable. And what the gospel of Christ does is it looks at you, and it's almost like leaning over, pleading with you, and saying, look, you're beautiful, beautiful. Like, I laid my life, but you're not dirty and gross. You're not. Like that you're, you're, what you've been looking for your whole life, like I came to live, give my life for you. And furthermore, um, whenever we're over here, like with our arms crossed going, why can't people get it together? You know, that he also says, it's like coming to you and saying, well, where's this got you, man? Where's this got you? Even internally, you have some real shame on the other areas of your life and even your hypocrisy around the one thing you think you're good at. Because I'm not that strong and tough in many regards, right? How much projection we're doing on many of these things. And he's like, come here, buddy. Just bring it on in. You're not nearly as tough as you like to think. And how about if you don't have to pretend like you are anymore? And see, that's what the gospel of Christ does. And see, it just addresses pride and shame all at the same time through this. And I do believe that God saves people even at the last moments. Um, this week was a wild week for me. I'm out, I don't have time to get into all this, but my stepdad died very suddenly on Tuesday. And he's lived his whole life uh, as an atheist, in fact, a Nazi, um, and um, in terms of a lot of his ideology and beliefs. And so very hostile and antagonistic to the Christian faith. Um, and so what's interesting, though, is I, I actually don't know the answers to these things. I'm just going to have to entrust these for the Lord. Uh, but my mom shared the gospel in clear terms with him this weekend. And then on Monday morning, he had a fall. And I was actually out of the room. And he's laying on the cold tile and couldn't get up. And my wife, Amy, was in, in there with him. And he asked her to pray for him which has never, I've known him for 45 years. Nothing like that has ever happened. So I don't know if he believed in Jesus in those last you know, day and a half or not. I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. Even the 78-year-old man laying on the cold tile in his last day and a half of life, that has lived his whole life in direct opposition to God, living out a broken and wicked ideology of racism and things like that, even with all of those things, that if laying on that tile, he were to believe in his heart that Christ raised him from the dead and confess with his mouth, mouth that Christ is Lord, he'd be saved right there that there's not anyone in this room, no matter how you've lived and how things have gone for you up to this point, that if you were to believe right now, he would turn you away. All are welcome, all. And it's a beautiful hope. There's not one sinner here that's too far gone, that's had too many things done to them, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, last part is even a flow out of this, and this is our sermon series right now of demonstrating and declaring, is that we have the ability to, to believe these things and recognize that we're not that awesome, and even though we want to build this righteous, righteousness so bad, and even disarming shame and all these awesome things of the gospel, but then we have the ability to actually do something uh, flowing out from this, not so that we're saved, but as a result of it, really a logical implication. Verse 14 how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? 
And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so look, we, we demonstrate and declare the gospel message to our friends. It makes sense, right? That if we've heard from someone else, like right now you're hearing it from me, someone had to tell you you're not that awesome and he would disarm shame and Jesus is way better. Someone had to use those words for you. It had to happen. And now we have the privilege of being able to speak those same words to our friends and neighbors and roommates and friends that have kids on our same teams and they go to the schools and, and sorority sister, whatever. Like those people that you know that I don't, you have this great uh, privilege now of declaring this gospel message to them. And a couple of things on this. Sometimes people, I even heard this conversation uh, with our staff this week where someone said, you know, had, had told them that they didn't need to be talking to people about Jesus and they quoted St. Francis of Assisi um, that allegedly said, um, you know, preach the gospel always um, and use words when necessary. Three things about that real quick. One, he almost certainly didn't say that, one. Two, um, I do appreciate this sentiment because I think what's behind that is saying that we need to not just be the loudmouth Christian that tells people what's up and our lives don't like match up with that in some way with sincerity and um, realness. Fair enough. Um, third thing about that is that the gospel message by definition is spoken, it's a word. All right, like by definition, it's not just an action. It is the word of faith that we proclaim and it's not anything that you do. That's the whole point. It's hearing, hearing that Christ has died for you and he brought the commandment to you and he obeyed where you could not and he disarmed shame and he makes it where it's okay to not be okay. And he, he's done all these things for you. It, by definition, the gospel is something we announce and declare and how do people believe if they haven't heard and how can they hear unless you are sent? And that's why we are all God, that's why we say every week, Redeemer, you are sent is because indeed you're God's sent ones in the city. We'll even uh, commission some of our goers that are going to move overseas to do the same very thing. Um, So here's the last thing I want to say is that um, look on this whole question of trying to be good people and even trying to live our life out. Um, you can even make the whole aim of Christian faith to be community. Um, I was joking with, um, this morning with Sarah and she said, you know, I found in our, um, in our gospel communities that every time you aim to say, hey, we're gonna be the really authentic gospel community or church, you almost never get it like just because you say you're going to be really authentic. Um, And even if you're like, no, we're really going to care about needs in the city, um, you almost never get that. So um, I would make the case that when we aim for community and we aim even for mission, even this last part about go, let's go, let's go let people hear about it. We almost never get it. Um, Rather, if we'll aim for Jesus in this word of faith that we are proclaiming, who uh, descended and who ascended and has been crucified and resurrected, if we aim for Jesus, we're gonna get family and community. We're gonna get mission if we aim for Christ uh, because he is, um, he's where all of our hope is placed. And if that's the fuel, then we're gonna wanna announce it. We're gonna wanna obey um, as we anchor deeply into the grace that we've been given in Christ. And I think that pops in a beautiful way. So I'm gonna pray. Um, Lord, would you uh, give us the hope um, of obedience uh, but that really isn't even our, our anchor, even mission, even community. That's not, that's not uh, what ultimately we want. Um, we want more than anything for our hope to be placed in Jesus and his death and resurrection on coming near to us and ascending from the dead, uh, right, being raised and then descending from heaven, bringing, bringing righteousness to us through his obedience and death and resurrection. And um, Lord, would there be a disarming of shame and even a humbling of the proud that would happen even on the spot this morning, that there'd be some that would give their life to you, even others that have been just walking anywhere in discouragement, disobedience, just feeling gross, you name it, that your tender care would just confront and love and just do your work, Lord. Do, do your work through your word, through your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.